Hey everybody, hope you're doing well. Before today's interview, I wanted to remind you of a couple events that I'm going to be a part of. The first one going to be hosted at my home this spring, April 20th and 21st, Lovable with Kelly Flanagan. We've had him on the show a couple times. His book, Lovable, has been uh, so transformational for me, my life, my family, my tribe. Uh, we've absolutely loved his work and his words in the world. He's joining us at our home in Waco, Texas for a couple of days. You can find out more information about that at ashtongustafson.com. Click Uh, I think schedule. Go to schedule and you'll be able to find it there. The next one, I'm getting on a plane the day after that ends. Heading out to Arizona, we'll be co-hosting the second annual Oomph Gathering with Patrick Lilly. It's going to be a blast. Um, And if you go to my website, you'll find a link to that as well. It's going to be kind of a contemplative retreat this year. We're just talking about um, living a beautiful life, living a great story, tuning in to who you are at the soul level and what that means for you, your life, your relationships, uh, and the world at large. So, beautiful things are happening. I'm so excited to get to be a part of some of these uh, events. And uh, they're small. These are not huge events by any means. Um, So there's not like we have a a ton of tickets and available spots, but we'd love for you to join us if you can. That being said, uh, Joe Saxton is on the show today. Coming up. Hi everybody, Ashton Gustafson here, and welcome back to another episode of Good, True, and Beautiful. I am so excited today uh, to introduce you guys to a uh, wonderful woman. She leads um, just an amazing life. A lot of you may have uh, uh, seen um, her teach across the country, across the world. Uh, some of y'all may be familiar with If Gatherings. She's been connected there, um, but just a beautiful soul. She's got a new book that's out. Her name is Joe Saxton, and um, I'm so excited to get to introduce her uh, to our family here and welcome her to the table. She's a much-needed voice, and I think all of us will um, gain a lot of uh, perspective, insight, and beauty as we hear about her and her story in this latest book. So, Joe, welcome to the conversation. Thank you. It's great to be with you. So, um, for maybe some of our listeners that haven't uh, crossed paths with you before, how do you introduce yourself and the work you put into the world? Um, I would introduce myself as a Nigerian Londoner, um, London born and raised, but Nigerian parents. I would say I'm a wife and a mom. I have two um, teenage girls. Teenagers. Teenagers, yeah. For all their glory and all their cusp of pubertiness. Um, but yeah they're awesome and I would the other part I'd say is like many people I wear a lot of hats um, and different roles at different times but I chair the board of a non-profit I write and I speak and um, I hang out at Target Target and Starbucks as often as possible (laughs) you sound like my wife and my two daughters Uh, my my daughter my my daughter was a, a Target checkout gal for Halloween um, I mean, talk about branding for a company when your six year awesome. when your six year old daughter dresses up as someone from Target. We have a problem. Um, That's genius. Yeah. So, well, wonderful. Well, so you um, this this book. Um, I got to dive into it uh, in the last week. I know it may be written primarily for the for, from the perspective uh, of a woman's view of the world, but. Um, it, there, there was there was so much gold in there to dig through. It's called the dream of you to let go of the broken identities and live the life you were made for. Um, I guess what tell us the background of what led you to write this book, the dream of you. 
Yeah, um, well, I think a number of things happened um, all around the same period. I was I've been doing a lot of traveling and speaking, and um, at conferences and coaching in particular um, female leaders. And I kept on seeing a, a number of common threads of people who were skilled and talented and passionate, but often stuck. Mm. And um, either second guessing their every gift and their every move. Um, frustrated with where they were at and every time we dug deeper it, it actually wasn't about what they were doing or not doing it often came down to issues of identity and whether they perceived that they could be all that god called them to be and some would say they were stuck by the past that some were trapped in the expectations of the culture around them but it was really inhibiting their process mm. and their journey and their ultimately their calling and and that and when i say calling i mean anything from is this a good time to have kids or am i going to be defined by what my parents were like through to I have a dream for a new business all and everything in between and and so the dream of you kept on coming back to and um, basically me asking the question who were you before anybody told you who you were supposed to be mm. and um, then to ask yourself um, what would it look like for God to lead you back there wow so so when you say the dream of you um, hold my hand on that it is are, are you really saying in, in order to uncover, discover, relearn, uh, reground yourself in the identity that has always mm-hmm. been there? When you say the dream of you, this book is really a conversation about soul identity. Is that right? Yeah, it is. It really is. Um, I love the way you put that. I think it, it, when I um, think of the dream of you, for me, it wasn't just purely about all my hidden ambitions and dreams, although sometimes those things are signposts, but it was asking, like you said, the soul work of who did God say you were and what did he set you aside for in life Mm. and um, what's his vision for your identity and your purpose. Mm. Yeah, you know, there's there's this great conversation that's happening right now um, across all mediums and and places of of thought and... uh, regrounding back in Genesis that, you know, we were made in this image of God. Um, and, mm. and, and that, and that, uh, this isn't a new thing. This isn't new age, but it comes across as that, I think for some people. Um, and, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and really we're like, no, 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 no. We're, 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 we're rewinding back to what has always been true. Um, and one way I've been able to hold this for, for myself, my family, people that I, that I coach is, that that your soul is greater than your role. Um, that mm. that that divine identity, that base note, that that belovedness that we all have, by the way, that is true for all of us. Yeah. Um, when when you take a step back and you begin at that place, rather than beginning at, well, I'm a mom or I'm a business owner yeah. or I'm, you know, we define ourselves on these. It's like ego mythology almost, um, but it's this beautiful freedom, breaking of chains, regrounding back into this truth. And I think it's the work that you're really getting to in the book um, is that, hey, uh, you are beloved. You are, you are a child of the divine. And when you start there, when, when you yeah. start there, mm-hmm. now the possibilities are, are endless. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think I, I love what you articulated there in terms of your soul being more than your role, because our roles change with mm-hmm. different chapters of our lives yes. and life collides with us in so many ways and can hold us back in so many ways. 
Um, and so when our role changes, if our identity and our sense of purpose is found in a specific title, we fall apart and we're mm. empty. If our aspirations are set by a particular chapter of, of our lives, say motherhood or marriage, well, if those things don't happen for us, does that make us nobody and worthless? Um, and and what, I, what, I was hope, what I've been hoping to do with the conversation about the dream with you is to boil back and um, from all of from from the um, designations we often put on ourselves or have put on us and come back to something more intricate and more intimate and with greater possibility. Well, well. So you write about um, broken identity and, and how broken, broken identity can limit your life. Um, mm. This is, uh, I mean, this is a much deeper conversation than you can get into in a podcast. <laughs> but um, what, w- when... This conversation of broken identity and how it limits our life. Um, hold my hand there and, and kind of break that down for us because I, I first I want to know what is broken identity and then how does it limit our lives? Yeah. When I um, think of broken identities, I think of the, the actions and reactions that come out of us in the light of particular events or relationships that we've had. So, for example, if we um, make a vow to ourselves after a heartbreak. I'm never going to trust somebody again. Um, that's a broken identity because we have been defined by that heartbreak and it now shapes every other relationship we have. If we um, have a traumatic experience, um, that breaks our identity because we, are, we, we become defined and um, limited by those things. And we don't rise beyond what we believe about ourselves. We don't live beyond it. We don't love beyond it. We don't, so, um, we don't lead beyond it. So say if we think we're worthless, that will shape the kind of relationships we have, the kind of ways we'll treat our bodies, the kinds of ways we'll let other people treat our bodies um, to some degree. Hmm. Um, those, those things can impact us. Now, I'm not saying that everybody whose body has been mistreated is, came out because of, um, they were feeling worthless. I don't mean it in that respect at all. I, but I think there there are other broken identities that come when other people impose themselves on our lives, impose themselves on our bodies, impose themselves on our minds. And um, and it means that we live in the light of those events or live in the light of those relationships. And, and somehow all that, almost like our innocence is stolen, our freedom is stolen, our capacity for hope and life and beauty are all shaped now by these things that have happened to us. Mm. You said something beautiful there, and I want to I want to hold on to it. We we don't rise beyond what 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 did you say there? We don't rise beyond what we think of ourselves or the, believe those, about ourselves. Yeah, yeah. And and you said we don't lead and we don't and we don't love beyond that. Dial into that because that's a huge huge point here. I think it's that sense of of um, when we look at our actions and we look at our relationships and we look at our ways of functioning, um, our aspirations, our goals, that the stone they're set in is often our own belief and our own worth and value and the contribution we can make. Mm. You know, so for example, if you question whether you are um, worthy, um, you might find yourself overworking for the sake of approval. Um, overdoing it so that people like you appreciate you recognize you because you're used to um your worth being deemed conditional you know you you only heard for example we may have only heard affirmation when we got a particular grade or we may have only known comfort or friendship when we 
behaved in a particular way. And I think those are some, and if we take those belief systems on, and sometimes they grow up within us before we have a chance to decide whether they should be there or yeah, not, yeah. they, they um, dictate our behavior. And uh, ideally, we feel we grew out of them in high school. You know, we feel like, well, yeah, I used to live to please other people when I was in high school because I was trying to fit in, but I've grown up now. Until you look at how much you overwork and realize you're still walking on the playground in some way, mm. um, trying to trying to be approved of by somebody somewhere. Yeah, well, it was. It may have been your book or somewhere in the last seven days. I I, I heard someone say, "We're all walking through the junior high cafeteria." hoping we don't fall and hoping we get to sit at the right table and hoping yeah. we're in right social status with everyone. And I was like, oh my gosh, to even know there are people yeah. in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s that are yep. still walking through the junior high cafeteria. Um, like, oh, I mean, that that it breaks my heart to, to even know that that metaphor is overwhelmingly true <laughs> for for so many yeah. people in the human experience today isn't it fascinating that you know for many of us getting a place at the table began at the junior in the junior high cafeteria you know and mm. we've never left it mm. you know mm. we, we're still wanting to know can i be at that table can i speak at that table can i sit at that table or will you look and question why whether i should be there mm. um and whether i've got a reason to belong to who you are and and what you're doing. I mean, it, 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 like you say, it's tragic, but it's so poignantly true for so mm-hmm. many of us. And so the book, The Dream of You, really reconnects yourself to the idea that that you were made by love to love, I think. Um, and, and the freedom that that offers you to be you in your relationships, in the workplace, in the home. Um, mm-hmm. It's... It, you sure do start at a place of compassion and empathy more often than not when you ground yourself in that truth of um, mm. you're a child of the divine. You were made by love for love. And guess what? So is the person next to you. Um, yeah. And you may not know their story and you may not know the narrative in their head. And yeah, they still may be stuck in the junior high cafeteria, but oh, the opportunity and the obligation and responsibility to offer that freedom uh, to everyone that you've been entrusted of. Hey, there's nothing to prove. There's nothing to perform. There's nothing to achieve. You, you got to start at a place of receiving love before you can give it. Yeah. So Absolutely. Good. Then you know what to give. Yeah. Yeah. You know yeah. what to give then. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I'm like high-fiving you through the microphone. Um, so, <laughs> um, so my next question then is this. So how can you truly know who you are before life told you what you're supposed to be? Like, do you have a, a practice, a discipline, a regrounding ritual where, where you can go back and know who you are before life told you what you're supposed to be? Um, I think I'm, I've, begun, I've developed them and continue to develop them over the years. And I often think they start with questions, the questions that we ask each other. And so, and and the people around us. For me, there have been two key things that have been really helpful. One has been um, thinking, thinking of some of my childhood dreams and all of their naivety and all of their innocence, um, the silly ones, the fun ones, and asking what was it about those things that I found so compelling and not writing them off and dismissing them as child, 
as childish things, although they were, but but also recognise them as childlike things. Mm. Um, so for me, for me, my childhood thing was I, I I say childhood thing. I'm still I'm 43 and it's still the same. I was a big uh, always been a big fan of Wonder Woman. Always I didn't want to be a princess. I I never ever wanted the fairy tale castle. I wanted to do the rescuing. That was the just red my boots. Game plan. Red boots, as you say in the book. I wanted the red boots. And I wanted to rescue people and I wanted to help people and I wanted to overturn. I wanted to help the good guys and deal with the bad guys or have them dealt with. Um, and, and I've noticed that as a thread throughout my life. Now, obviously, I don't need a cape for that, but there was something in the childhood dreams. I think the other thing is, is I, I would ask people, who are the people who know you well? And then who are the people who know you differently? And I often, like my, when I'm around my siblings in particular, um, partly because you have a shared history and a shared story, um, there are certain things about character traits which we remember about each other, or long-term friends, or people who you've had like meaningful conversations with who hear the passions of your heart again and again and again. And they'll often know more than you how much you talk about something, how much mm. you respond to particular events. There are things I see in my children that, that, um, that each of them are distinctly particularly good at and particularly reach for. And I think those are some of the, some of the ways in which we begin to identify when you catch yourself, um, catch a pattern in your life, when you, or someone else can recite a pattern of being and a mm. pattern of aspiring or doing in your life. Those point to some of those things because that was before anything got in the way Yeah. yeah or yeah, in yeah. spite of the things that got in the way. Yeah. So proximity to those that are near you, those that you know are for you, um, it's healthy then to have these conversations. It, it may, maybe, maybe you've had the conversation of, I know who I am, I'm grounded in love, and, and you've started there. Mm -hmm. But to move into the purpose of your life, um, you're saying, hey, go, go to some of those people and ask them to, to see those natural giftings, the places where you naturally go, the places... Um, where your true self shows up, you're saying that's a great place to begin. I think it's absolutely vital. I think we are made for community, and I mm. think we get clarity in community. And um, and I and I think there's something that we. I mean, you know, the Bible would say iron sharpens iron. I think there's something that we get alongside one another because if we get in our own head um, too much, then then it, it's easy for the old the old patterns that aren't so helpful to war against the, the, the fresh ones you're trying to build and, yeah. and, and inhabit. So I think to have other voices um, to, to speak life. And I, I mean, I think our identities are also formed in community as well. I mean, uh, when we're thinking of the divine in its very nature is it's relational. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so I would, so it's inevitable to expect us made in God's image to function um, with relationship in mind and that bring out the best mm -hmm. and bring out the truest in us as well. But mm -hmm. it does need to be healthy community. Mm -hmm. And in the same way that unhealthy community can bring great damage, healthy community can bring great life and healing as well. Yeah. 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 I, you know, one of the big ahas I had last year when, um, when you really dig down into first book of John in the beginning was the word. Um, there, there's a lot mm -hmm. of ways you can take that uh, when you really dig into the, the, the root meaning of all of that in the beginning was the community in the beginning was the conversation in the beginning was the creative, uh, creative energy in the beginning was the diversity within unit or the unity within diversity. Um, and if that is, if, if that is image that we are made in, 
um, then that that has to be reflected out into our lives as well. Um, and so cultivating Absolutely. cultivating yeah. that diversity of relationships, insight, uh, and so forth, I think is is huge. Yeah. Awesome. So you mentioned um, in the book, and I think we've we've kind of been on this road a little bit in this conversation. But the, the way in which we view ourselves devi- defines how we rest, work, and play. Um, mm-hmm. And I want to take an emphasis on how we rest. Um, because mm-hmm. it, Facebook shows us how to play, and the workplace convinces us of whatever that culture norm is of how to work. But, uh, man, one of our mantras here at the podcast is is more and more of less and less. And, and that, yeah. that the best thing, the, the healthiest thing you can offer the world is a healthy you. And I think that that begins yeah. in, this, in this state of rest. How did you learn this lesson? Because I think um, I only learned it through burnout. <laughs> and maybe that's the only way to learn the lesson. Um, but, ha- you know, how we, how we define ourselves and see ourselves is also going to be the permission slip to how we allow ourselves to rest. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and, and I think permission slip is a key phrase on that as well, whether we give ourselves permission or whether we feel we are given permission to rest. And um, I think I've, I've, I would say I'm always learning that one because I think there are so many things happening at once. I think there are, I think for me, naturally, I like working. I like doing, I like being busy. So I have to watch myself on that. I'm actually not that bad at having a day off mm. technically. Yeah. You know, I'm right. not bad technically at saying no, but I think one of the biggest challenges is resting my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. One of the, and, um, and being as opposed to doing. And I think I've had to identify, I've had to make my peace with some of the reasons behind some of those things. So for me, one of the reasons behind such, um, for me, the drivenness has often been culturally the expectation, um, which I mentioned in the book. When I talk, I, there's a chapter where I talk about um, my aunt talking to me about some of the racial dynamics in our community when I was a child, and just the chat, and basically what we, <coughs> what's commonly known as the talk, and the talk basically being um, my aunt sitting me down. She was a Nigerian immigrant like myself, and saying, you know, it's not easy to make it in this country, and and there were all kinds of racial tensions in our neighborhood and in our, in the cities within England at the time. And, um, she said, you know, um, there are a number of things that are against you. One is that you're a woman. Secondly, you're a black woman. And if you want to make it, you're going to have to be twice as good. You won't be able to do what your friends do. You won't be able to get away with what they get away with. And, and the backdrop of this is on the TV screens in that same era are riots and challenges mm-hmm. and all kinds of desperate things. And so she said, you'll have to be twice as good. And it was, um, or at least two times as good, at least three times as good. It depended on the conversation at, at, at the time, but it was a common mantra. So I think there was a, a sense of, you know what? It's not enough to be enough. You have to be wow. more to get a, to, to have the door open to you. And the one, I mean, I've got to be honest with you. It was one of the best pieces of advice I was given at the time. Mm. And I'm very grateful for it. But I think the other thing that, you don't process as a child is the cost of that mm-hmm. and the cost to your body, the cost to your psyche, the cost to your mind and what that does to you, your being, because you can never stop. You can never stop because nothing feels secure. And it's been an ongoing process to lay that at the feet of Jesus, mm-hmm. particularly when the world around you resembles the same racial tumult that you experienced at the time that produced that decision in the first place. Um, 
and thinking, and almost it triggers the same sorts of fears well. um, or, or the same sorts of concerns. It's like, okay, I, I remember what this looks like. Enough isn't enough. Hmm. Um, you have to be more. And I've had, to be, I've had to keep on coming back to the Lord and say, what does it look like? How do I take this cultural moment and what it's doing in my own life, in the life yeah. of my children and my family, and, and the words of Jesus, which have come to me, or use the weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Mm-hmm. And there have been moments. And, it's, and for me, that has had to have been a walk by faith and not by sight. And moments where I've said, Lord, I'm going to stop. But, but I stop with fear. Mm. You know, I, stop, I stop in fear because I'm afraid of what it means to let this be enough. Mm. Not because I don't think I'm enough, but I don't think I'm in a world which receives me as enough. Wow. And, um, and having to wrestle with that. And sometimes yeah. I've laid it down and picked it right up again. What? <laughs> and other times I've walked away and said I have to have a different definition of success. Yes, yeah. And that's, that's so interesting that... Um redefining success what may what what got you to where you are um that that sense of um you know how how you mentioned you got to be twice as good you got to be you know those things that you were taught they got you to where you were and yet and yet there's also an element of surrendering to that to move into the next form of whatever success looks like um absolutely absolutely yeah yeah. I think I've had to recognize that what makes you survive doesn't always make you whole, you know, and wow. um, survival is a wonderful thing, you know, and um, I'm sure amongst your listeners and um, and amongst the community around this podcast are people who have survived all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I would contend that God invites us and celebrates survival, but also brings us to wholeness and redemption. Mm. And, um, and that means buying back what was lost, even mm-hmm. in the battle for survival yes. as well. And, um, and I think for me, having to reclaim rest and reclaim being, I remember giving myself a vacation a while ago um, and just taking a week where I went to museums and I, I didn't spend any money, I don't, or at least not much money. I, I was at home and in the school hours, instead of working and working and working and working, I went to museums and galleries and I took long walks and I went to, I took a long drive for the sake of it and nothing had meaning or purpose allegedly. Nothing had a destination or a goal, it just was. And it was so liberating and it was so freeing to not be defined by this ongoing drive. Totally. Um, and it was good for my soul, yeah. and it was good for my creativity as well. Yeah. My friend A.J. Sherrill, he, he, he said once on this podcast that what if joy isn't tethered to outcomes? And uh, yeah. I was like, whoa, whoa. And I even heard a conversation yesterday, and I, I need to cite this source because this is not my idea, but it was they were, they were citing a source, <laughs> and, and they were talking about how um, thousands and thousands of years, there, there's been this element across all boundaries of survival of the fittest. But this yeah. new, the new world that we are seeing is that it's becoming, we're seeing survival of the nurtured. <laughs> and, and I was like, oh my wow. goodness, that is a, uh, both self-nurture and the communities where we are nurtured. Um, that, yeah. that survival now yeah. is about moving into groups of belonging, um, knowing yeah. your community but you can't give away what you don't have right you, you can't create Absolutely. a you can't create a sense and so a group of belonging if you yourself don't know that which you belong to um yeah. and it's never outside of us it's always within 
Um, and so I don't, I don't know. I need to research that because I, I thought that conversation, um, I think, can free a lot of people from the survival yeah. of the fittest mindset moving to the survival of the nurtured. Um, yeah, that's so, a whole other way of being, that it, is, isn't it? A whole, wow. a whole other way. So for our listeners that maybe feel burned out, weighed down, um, confused, mm-hmm. chaotic, what, whatever uh, negative connotations we may bring to the table, um, mm-hmm. what's the first step that you would encourage someone to say, to, 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 to reignite the dream of you? Um, well, to dream, you do have to sleep. Um, so I would <laughs> ask, I would encourage, and I mean, on one level, it sounds free or, I mean, or cliched on one level, but I would ask about the rest thing because I think um, when we've been hanging on for so long, and you know, at that time when you feel burnt out, you're just threadbare, and yet that doesn't stop you pushing yourself mm. <laughs> any further. I mean, it doesn't stop you pushing yourself harder because because it's some kind of visceral sensation that somehow that feeling of pushing is, is progress. Um, but actually I would, I I would say for a little while, I want to, I, we want to get our bodies back in order because Mm. it helps and frees our minds just because the Lord made us holistically. So I would, I would encourage, first of all, um, what are there some physical things that we need to do? Do you need to, um, rest? Do you need to see a doctor? Do you need to get a good a good week of sleep? Um, do you need to have a day off? And you might just sit there weeping all day because you are that done. Mm. Um, but uh, but I think that's a, a valid and a healthy part of the process because I've you know there are times when I've tried to do it too quickly and say right I'm going to live my dreams and I get out a whiteboard and I start drawing things out and everything but my soul is empty wow. <laughs> and um, there's no I can't meet the moment. I have, I'm too tired mm-hmm. to dream. It's just like, I'm, and, and so I would, I would, I would first um, encourage us to think of some holistic things that actually give our minds some rest. And, and, and again, some of those things we need to do in community, you might, you know, you might need someone to look after your kids for the day or to look after your kids for the morning. So you can have a shower, <laughs> so you can go to the gym, so you can have a long walk uninterrupted. Um, sometimes we have to plan these things with the support of others so that we've got the room to be able to do them. Hmm. I love, um, I, I love how you just said you may be even too tired to dream. Um, that's, yeah. that's such a bit that that's, that's an aha. I mean, that's like a retweet. Um, you know, if you're, if you're too tired to dream, Hey, that's the first sign that, um, that holistic yeah. bodily approach, it, it begins there. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I would say once we've begun to attend to some of that, then I would, I, I would begin to, I would ask some questions. I, I would ask simple things like, what do you like to do? Because sometimes when we're that burnt out, we don't even know that anymore. Yeah. And, yeah. and I'm not, I'm not just primarily interested in the answers to those questions, but how, you, whether you feel you're able to even engage with them, because that's an indicator. Mm. Um, if you feel you can't, if you can't even like those things, any, if you don't know what you like anymore, then actually that's, that, that's a good answer because it's, a, it's, diagnostic it indicates something to us and it's time for you to kind of pull in your people a bit sooner and say before i was like this what things did i like doing Hmm. um because i can't see anymore it's all too close to me i'm too overwhelmed if you do know the answer to those things then i'd get you to write them down because again that sense of well-being that sense of joy is a good seed bed for our dreaming yes um but but burnout often takes us out of well-being 
before we can, and then we can't dream. Yeah. Uh, so initially the things I'm beginning to think of are all the things that are restorative to you, body, mind, and spirit, soul, all of those. And then as you've begun to write what you like in that, I'd, I'd, I'd ask um, what sort of things do you care about? I'd ask what sort of things do you like? And they can be food, shopping. I mean, it could, I mean, for me, I don't like to divide the sacred and the secular that much anyway, because that's I right. just think, you know, I'm a bit more Celtic. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> in my, me too. In my philosophies on those sorts of things. Um, but I'd ask what sort of things you like. What sort, and then I would ask what sort of things get you, inspire you. And, and again, for those of us who feel threadbare, we might need people to help draw that out of us. Mm-hmm. Um, again, because we've lost our way. And then I would say, what sort of things agitate you? Get under your skin that you want to see change and um, those sorts of pieces that that are tapping your emotions in all sorts of ways because somewhere between those frustrations and those passions may be something. That, I mean, it may just be you're frustrated and you're passionate, but it may be that there's something in there. And then I think the other questions I like to ask people are, you know, the ones that you often find when people are coaching people, like what would you do if you weren't afraid, if money, time, and resources weren't an issue, what sort of things? And to find some of those blink immediate answers for some of us are often our truest ones. Um, and uh, But I, I, I find the question of, the the way our, the way we question in those moments and the questions that we kind of ponder help unearth things and yeah. it's okay for it to take a while yeah. it's okay for it to take weeks if need be because you know sometimes life singes us right. you know when I've been in times like times of grief it takes a long time to answer those questions in grief because you're having to rebuild an entire new world and it's a new normal mm-hmm. um, so it's hard to know those things you. And, and when you genuinely don't know the answer to those things, and I often recommend a kind of journey of discovery, like try and go into a gallery, try going and seeing a yeah. film, and you don't like it, well, we know that that's not the thing you like then. Yes. Uh, you know, try the sport, try the ideas, and experiment. And the great thing about experiments is that, they, that results are success yes. rather than good results are success, yeah. rather than perfect results are success. Just the results are indicators. And weird is okay. Like no, it, this, this is all you. Oh, this is this is unique. This is follow your nose of curiosity. Like one of the, my, for me, it is it is food. The 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 table is very sacred to me. Um, mm-hmm. And so when I come home at night, I love cooking a meal that takes a long time. I get to unplug, unwind, oh, wow. be creative. But then the the uh, the aftermath of that is I get to be at the table with the ones I love. And so while it's yeah. easy to run through Chick-fil-A and everyone just scarf it down, that's the easy thing to do. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I also love this time of unplugging. Um, to me, it doesn't feel yeah. like work. It sure. feels like joy to just come home and prepare a meal and then be with the ones. So yeah, following, following that nose of curiosity and giving yourself the permission slip to go, look, this doesn't have to look like everyone in your way. Like whatever it is, if you if it's yoga, let it be yoga. If it's a walk around the block, let it be that. But knowing those magic metrics each day, where you get to pour in a little bit at the soul level, I think is so so important to staying connected yeah. to the true self and moving continually with your dream, becoming alongside your dream as well. We are all in process. The dream yeah. is in process. Um, absolutely yeah we need those places wow so I can't say enough good things about the dream of you I I hope our listeners can hear just the passion that that Joe brings she brings it on paper as well you guys 
make sure you go out and get a copy of this book. Joe, something I always, this is a little off script, something I always ask everyone is, um, like, what advice would you give to your younger self? On, on the other side of this book, as you look back, whether it's a year ago, 20 years yeah. ago, um, what, what advice would you give to the younger Joe? Oh, the advice I give to the younger Joe. When you said that, I think I was immediately thinking of me in my 20s when I was starting out in leadership. And um, I think I was just so immobilized by self-doubt. Hmm. and immobilized or definitely maybe not immobilized but definitely slowed down on account of the fear that i think that the fear that i needed to fit into a certain mold um to be valid um as a mold of a leader i didn't look like any of the people i led amongst i wasn't the same gender as as 99 of the people i was leading <laughs> or leading with and so i was always questioning whether i should be there and I think the advice I would have given to my younger self is um, be unapologetic. Let's go. Be unapologetic and explore even more. And I got there in the end, but it, it took a, it took longer than it could have done. Mm. Unapologetic exploration. That's a book. That's a book you need to read. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awesome. Uh, I read that book. <laughs> yeah. And the subtitle would be even more awesome, I think. Um, so, uh, Joe, what's the best place for, for our listeners to follow you and your work? Well, oh, lots of options. In terms of if you're a social media person, then at Joe Saxton on most of the platforms, whether that's Twitter or um Instagram, Facebook, my website is joesexton.com. Um, and I co-host a podcast with a friend of mine, Stephanie O'Brien, called Lead Stories. So you can and find that wherever you get your podcast. So those beautiful. would be the ideal, the immediate places. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, Joe, you, uh, you are a friend at our table. We are grateful for your voice. Um, I wish you nothing but uh, beauty, grace, and peace in that unapologetic exploration um, that I know you will continue to do. And just thank you for your time and generosity and, and the spirit you brought today. We're super grateful for you. Thank you. So fun to be with you. Thanks so much. Okay, Joe, we'll talk soon. Hey, everybody, a couple things before we go. Number one, if you have enjoyed these conversations, would you please run over uh, to iTunes and leave us a little quick review? One of the ways we get to spread the information uh, and stuff that we're sharing here at Good, True, and Beautiful uh, is by people leaving a review. So if you've enjoyed your time here, please go there, drop us a note. We'd be super grateful. Next, if you think someone would make a great interview at Good, True, and Beautiful, I would love to know about it. You can email me directly, ashton at ashtongustafson.com. And if they're a writer, thought leader, uh, leading a beautiful life, living a great story, anything that's good, true, beautiful, I want to know these people. One of my favorite things that's happened here is you guys have shared people with me uh, to go out and reach. And it's just been unbelievable to um, connect stories together uh, and really bring back to the table uh, wonderful stories that people are living. So please send them my way. I would love to connect with them. And lastly, as you approach this week, may you pause by the orchid, listen to the bluebirds sing, and be love. Be love.